Here's what's coming up on this week's show. You know, your business is a, is a living and breathing thing. If the business has a heart attack and the heart stops beating, you've got no business. The only reason a business ever fails is because it runs out of money. The Beat. Welcome to the Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there, and they're both looks very cold, Claire Horsley over there. So let me just set this up. It's late September when we're recording this, and I don't think it's too cold, although the temperature has dropped a little bit. But Claire, it looks like you're wearing all your clothes right now. I am absolutely frozen. I've been so cold all morning, and I would be wearing more, but... I had a hat on as well earlier, but I had to take it off because I couldn't get my headphones on. I think if you wore any more, you wouldn't be able to move. It's just going to have to be done after this call. I'm getting the onesies on and everything. (laughs) I think it's worth pointing out that we're recording this on Zoom, uh, so we're in two different houses. Claire's in her office uh, recording her bit, and I'm in my office recording my bit. Uh, And uh, obviously, Claire obviously can't afford central heating in her house, so she's wrapped up in, like she's about to go on an Arctic expedition or something. (laughs) The heating's on! The heating's on! And I need to crank it up a bit and uh, put the on as well. God, what is wrong with you? I don't know. What's the matter with me? I don't know, but I think I'm going to be heading for a divorce soon when my, my husband gets back. It's like 40 degrees in this house. <laughs> it's like a furnace. <laughs> it's a tan coming in here. So each week on the show, we talk to an industry expert or an entrepreneur who has loads of useful information that you can take away right now and implement in your business to help your business to grow. Um, now, what's the subject? You're in charge this week. What's the subject, Claire? The subject this week is how to survive a financial crisis. Oh, that's a good one. And quite time too because we're at the back end of September here Uh, we're six months into Covid so there's a lot of businesses that are struggling right now but even if you're listening to this maybe a year later uh, and we've come out the other side it's something to be aware of to understand what to do if you are heading down sort of a financial swamp somewhere yeah absolutely it's very real isn't it it's very real it happens in business and especially you know as we're talking now in the COVID situation, I just felt it would be really good to bring an expert on within their field of how we can do that as business owners. So we've got someone good on? We've got someone really good on. Who we got? Right, you ready? Yeah, what am I ready for? The person we have on to talk about this is Gary Bumford. Well, not my brother. Yep. <laughs> how did you manage that? The world moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> Behind my back, you sneaky little thing. So, we're, we're seriously, you're not winding me up. We're interviewing my brother. Yeah, I don't wonder what you're going to call me then for a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, your brother. Your brother is joining us. This is going to be really weird. This is the Big Little Business Show. Okay, so, learning stuff with my big brother. <laughs> Let's start off by finding out a little bit about you. I know I know all this stuff anyway, but for Claire's sake and for the audience's sake, tell us where you started and how you got to where you are. Okay, um, well, for me, Insight was about a learning experience I had um, in a number of positions that I held during the uh, 1980s. That sounds such a long time ago. Um, I was in a number of senior financial roles in different types of businesses during the 80s. And it became pretty apparent to me that smaller companies that were created and built by the people that founded them were really seriously lacking financial skills and financial understanding. And I suppose that's where the the, uh, the spark came from, really. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, we set up in 1992, my original business partner, um, and, um, and went out there in the big wide world and tried to sell ourselves, which was quite a novel concept for an accountant. Now you have, what, 10 staff, am I right? 
thinking? Yeah, there's teams 10 strong now. Yeah, we're based in Stansted, Mount Fidget, which is the old village near um, the airport the airport takes its name from. But then it's nice to see uh, uh, what I always forget with you is looking back to where you were when you started sort of 30 years ago. You spent some time working out of mum and dad's spare room in their house uh, and you had your office set up there to where you are now with a plush looking office space with 10 staff Uh, yeah it's nice to see that development and did you have in your head when you started when you were in mum and dad's bedroom did you have in your head that this is where you would be 30 years later i think i always had a vision in my head um i think a vision is very very important i think it's really important to have a very clear picture of where you want to go and I think it's, even back then, I tried to remember what happened yesterday. So trying to remember 28 <laughs> years ago. But yes, yeah, certainly I had an I, an I, a very clear idea in my head that we would be operating from a profit office building with a team of people delivering what we do, which is you know, to helping businesses uh, really understand where they are financially uh, with a, brain, a broad range of different types of skills, different people at different levels and that sort of thing. I think that, that definitely was in my head, that picture. Um, and and that's really, I suppose, where we are. Um, you know, and, and a bumpy old journey on the way, as all businesses business journeys are. Um, it's never straightforward from A to B. It's a very, you know, bumpy route, and it, you know, you take the ups and downs. But um, yeah, I mean, and we we moved into the offices in Stansted in 1999. So we've been here 21 years. Um, uh, and um, yeah, it's 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 come together, I suppose, as that original vision was, and I think that's, that's probably a really important picture to have in your head. Do you remember the time uh, when you decided to set up your business, um, and was it because you identified a need in the market that people weren't already offering? Definitely, we identified a need. I mean, I, I've always worked in in companies um, in corporate life, um, and I'm quite unusual in the sense that I set up on my own relatively early in my career. Um, but during the 80s, I was in a number of senior financial roles in different companies. Um, and it became pretty apparent to me with a company that I joined um, that was a, an owner-managed business that had grown very rapidly that basically had no financial controls at all. The people that were running it had no idea where they were. The only financial information they got was at the end of the financial year when their final accounts were produced. Um, and my role, uh, I went in as finance director and um, my role was created pretty much by pressure from their bank and from their auditors that they had to do something about this. When I joined them, they were doing about 10 million turnover and had eight branches around the country. But board meetings were accounting lessons. It was quite interesting. And, and, and I learned a lot then. I thought there's a lot of other companies out there like this. I actually find it quite interesting understanding how businesses are created and why they work and why they don't work. And the, the reality is that most businesses are created by technicians. That uh, So the business does what they do. I was guilty of that in 1992 when Insight started. I created a business that does what I do. Um, and when you look at most businesses, they are created by people that know the technical skills for what the business does. But that doesn't necessarily mean they've got all the other skills they need to run the business because it's a very different thing to run a business that does what you do than doing what you do. Um, and, it, and, and that is fundamentally, I think, why most businesses don't work. The ones that work are the ones where people realise they need to surround themselves with the other skills they need. And the ones that don't work are the people that are 
bit too arrogant and think they know it all. I can totally associate with that. So in the fitness industry, which is one of my arms of uh, income, there is a huge amount of fallout because uh, people come out of their qualification knowing how to you know, make muscles work and how to keep everyone healthy, but they don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to market a business. And that's why so many businesses fail. So I can totally understand what you're saying there. And it is fundamentally what goes wrong, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, we all have our, our specialities, don't we, um, as individuals and what we bring to the business. So, yeah, I totally, totally understand that. So are you saying so uh, making sure that ultimately the numbers mean something as opposed to just something on a sheet of paper that needs to be done and actually means something to that company? It's got to mean something. There's no point in doing it otherwise. I mean, there's, there's fundamentally three reasons why you do accounts for a company and we, why the accounting and that side of things needs to be done. The first thing is just to recall transactions. You need to have a record of what you bought, what you sold, and all the rest of it. So you have to do the basic fundamental bookkeeping. And the second one is compliance, where a company's got you know, compliance obligations, it's got to file, company, uh, file accounts at company's house, it's got to do its tax returns, and if it's VAT registered, it's got to do its VAT returns. So there's a compliance issue which comes out of the accounting. But actually the most important one is the third one, is that the accounting information should feed financial information which enables the people running the business to make better decisions. Because at the end of the day, and I accept there are some, some exceptions, but at the end of the day, most of us go into business to make money. But it's then rather curious that most of us spend all our time ignoring it um, because we don't really understand it. And therefore, it becomes pushed to the back and you know, given a very low level of priority in the business. Claire has quite nicely uh, set up this interview so we can have a chat with you about what to do in a financial crisis and how to get out of a financial crisis. And I guess... Maybe the first thing to consider is whether the company's worth saving in the first place. Because if your heart in it isn't in it, you're not going to be mentally prepared to sort of pull yourself out of the swamp, really, are you? That's absolutely true. I mean, in all the work that I've done over the years with businesses that are distressed, the first and most fundamental thing is, are the people that are running those, that business up for the fight? Because that's what it is. It's a fight. Um, and if they've not got their heart in it, they're not passionate about it, and they don't believe that they can get where they need to go, then you're, you're wasting your time. It's, it's almost like you know, going into a boxing ring, being tired. You know, you've, you've got to be stronger than your opponent. So it's, it, it, is, it is a fight. Turning any business around and, and bringing it out of a distressed situation is a fight, and you need to be up for it. Um, and, and you need, again, going back to my other, but you've got, you've got to surround yourself with people that can help you do that. Because what's interesting is most people do not go into business to fail, um, strangely. Um, they go into business to succeed. So, again, you know, they don't necessarily know what they need to do at the time that things start falling apart around them. Yeah, I mean, what sort of signs do you think sort of are prevalent if a business is in distress? Uh, but do you think sometimes maybe people might not realise or maybe if they do realise try to ignore it i think i think a bit there's a bit of both there really um the 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 interesting thing in this sort of area is is to consider it like a medical analogy is to think about your own body and think about you know the medical side because you know your business is a, is a living and breathing thing and it needs to be healthy um and if, if the business has a heart attack and the heart stops beating you've got no business the only thing that ever stops a business, the only thing, reason a business ever fails is because it runs out of money. It Ultimately, it runs out of money in the same way as a human being fails because the heart stops beating. So, But there might be a reason why you've run out of money, and that might be fundamental to the way the business is being run or the commercial market it's in or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's about cash. And 
the the early warning signs of understanding what your cash position is. So if you are uh, finding yourself in financial difficulties with your business, there are, I know there are some really big differences to consider if you're self-employed versus a limited company. And we, we have uh, people listening to this show who might be in one situation on, or the other. And uh, there are some really huge differences, aren't there? Yes, there are. I mean, I think the thing to remember, if you're operating through a limited company, then in law, a limited company is, is, a, is a person in the same way as you and I are. Um, so it has its own separate legal, in, legal identity um, and it is completely separate from the people that own and run it. Um, when you're running self-employed or you know, you're working in, in that sort of environment, even a partnership, which is effectively a group of self-employed people, then actually that differentiation doesn't exist. I mean, it's those people. So if that business hits financial stress and has financial difficulties, it's actually the individuals that have then got the financial difficulties, not just the business. Whereas if it's in a limited company, subject to anything you may have done in terms of personal guarantees or any ways you might have broken down that that barrier, um, the reality is that that company, if it lives or dies, is quite separate from the people that own it. Now, if they've invested their own money in it, they might not get it back, so it might have some consequence, or if they're dependent on income from that business, which most people are, and and the business isn't able to provide them with income, yes, there clearly is a knock-on effect. But the fundamental difference is is that that, that legal entity, if you like, making it quite separate, which is why, for a lot of people, it's actually quite wise to operate through a limited company, especially if you're taking on obligations and liabilities and other bigger things. Because if it does go wrong, you potentially might be able to walk away from it. So we're talking at the moment in um, the COVID situation. So uh, I'm sure that with budgets and forecasts, you know, you have a business plan attached to it. Do you think people should still be revisiting their original business plan or should they be scrapping that one and making a completely new one? Um, I think they need to understand um what consequences are. It's actually very difficult to um, to consider where our business might be in its current environment. I've, I've said over the last few weeks and months while we've been working with our clients, helping them through this, that I've, I've never in all my career known a situation where it's necessary to project forward and understand and produce financial forecasts to maybe support funding that you can get or whatever, and actually had not even got one basic assumption you could put on the page because none of us knows how this might develop. Um, and that makes it incredibly difficult to actually really understand how your plan might, might play out. Um, I think the only thing you can do is really look at, you know, a worst case and a best case scenario. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, um, it's got to be a case of, you know, planning for the best, but actually being prepared for the worst. Um, and, and that's all I think any business can do at the moment. Um, and make sure that in that worst case scenario that they see that they're then planning to make sure that they've got enough cash to see them through. They make the changes to the business that might be necessary, which might, if they're employing people, might be you know might be necessary to to lose some of those, unfortunately, and all those sort of things. And and also to make sure that you're absolutely maximising what's on the table in terms of support. I mean, the government are doing a huge amount to throw money at businesses to try and see them through this, and. You know, and and that does work for a lot of people. I accept there are exceptions, but you know, a lot of the government support is there. It's easy to access, and and you, every everybody who's in business 
needs to be looking at what's available to them and, and playing the game according to what's what's on the table in front of them, really. Yeah, there's quite a lot of support out there at the moment. And I think that's interesting uh, and it's important to flag that up because with all the information that's going on at the moment, it's hard to fight your way through and find the right bit of information that can help you if your company's struggling a little bit. Um, but while uh, we can't ignore the, the current situation, it might be good to sort of maybe cover some wider reaching tactics for people who might be listening to this in a world where things are perhaps a little less chaotic, maybe in a year's time or something where the world is a bit different. Are there some sort of wider reaching tactics that people can do if they feel like they're starting to struggle a little bit or starting to sink? Um, yeah, I certainly, I mean, the first one is what I've already mentioned. They, they need to understand their cash flow. Um, they need to understand what, where their cash position is now, where it's going, um, and and how they can generate cash if, if that's becoming an issue, um, whether that's out of their business by selling assets or stock or whether it's getting new funding from outside. Um, I would always say that it's useful to have someone working alongside you that can help you. Um, the problem is with, with your business owner or business manager, your, your nose is right up against the coal face. And it's actually very difficult sometimes to see the wood for the trees. Um, so standing right back to, uh, you know, standing right back and looking at the thing and looking down on the business as a whole, someone external from the business can do that much better and actually potentially bring up ideas or put things forward, which otherwise wouldn't be obvious. Um, so, it's, you know, getting outside help, I think is really important. I think it's also really important that, if it looks like the business is, you know, getting into a very difficult situation is to really understand what the consequences of that might be. Um, there's, as I said earlier, there's no one goes into business to fail. So most people don't know anything about the 1986 Insolvency Act and they don't know anything about wrongful trading and they don't know anything about, you know, concepts of making sure that their obligations are in the right places. But a lot of that law can get really nasty if you get it wrong. So again, outside help's useful um, and making sure you understand what the consequences of things are. And I think the other one is, is really, which is actually in some ways the most difficult thing is to act quickly and act early. It, it's better to cut deep and do things which are painful at the beginning and solve the problem than try and have a death by a thousand cups. And deal with it and act upon it quickly so it doesn't... Um you know, create some layers of destruction, I guess. Um, yeah, and it's natural, isn't it? It's natural that people will, you know, will, will try and, you know, it's their baby, their business, you know, they've built up over a period of time. It's natural for them to think, oh, it'll be okay, I can fix this, it will, you know, it, it, I don't need to do this and all this sort of thing. But actually, you know, it, it does, the problems often don't go away. They might do, but they often don't go away. Um, and it's easier to cut deep and then rebuild than it is to try and, around the edges. I mean, whether it's COVID or, or business in general, uh, obviously COVID has presented the biggest challenges, I'm sure, but businesses anyway, because um, it's a roller coaster ride and things don't of, often pan out the way that you expect it to. So if there's, if there's anybody who's listening who maybe is in panic mode, if you like, uh, at the moment thinking, this could actually be me, maybe I need to really think about, you know, what direction to head in. Could you offer maybe some tips as to maybe what sort of things they should be looking at immediately? Um, I think, um, you know what I'm going to say next, cash. Um, but, um, yeah, it, well, it, it actually all boils down to that. Um, but I think also to look at, objectively look at their market and look at where they are. I mean, you know, 
there's what's been interesting throughout the the covid crisis is that there has been a lot of shift in people's behavior and a lot of shift in different markets simple things like you know high street retail being replaced by online retail um and 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 you know an awful lot more use of of virtual things and video conferencing and all this sort of stuff. So there's a lot of things that have changed people's behavior. And a lot of that probably will not change back. Um, so, you know, it, you need to be objective in your market and think, well, what's going on here? Is it temporary or is it permanent? Or will it just change shape, change color or whatever in the future? Uh, and, and understand how, what impact that will have on you. I think the other one is to, you know, is is really is about um, battening down the hatches and, and making sure the business is as strong and as as viable as you can make it. So look at what things you might have within the business that you don't need that you might be able to sell and get some value for. Um, look at, you know, if you're a stockholding business, what stock you've got. Look at how much money your customers owe you. Also look look seriously at the viability of your customers. You know, you might be experiencing some difficulties, but how are your customers bearing up? I mean, and do they owe you money? And have they got problems? Get on top of that quickly and make sure that you get paid. And on the other side of the coin, if you're dependent on certain suppliers in your business, how well are they doing? Are they okay? What happens if they fail? What impact does that have on you? So I think it's all about building some resilience um, and and getting a a picture around you of, of what's going on. And, and always, always, always being objective about it and make sure you're actually really being honest with yourself because if you start kidding yourself, it'll be okay. You know, the chances are you will miss an opportunity to deal with it. It's really difficult. And I can understand with a lot of businesses, especially the smaller ones, that they find it really difficult to spend time uh, looking, as you say, looking at their business from afar and looking at it from, from above. Totally get what you're saying about having some external help um, it's definitely very, very important to do. Um, do you think people are scared of asking for help as well? Yes, because they're admitting failure, aren't they? Um, you know, it, that is also a big part of the problem, I think. You know, it, it, none of us want to admit that we've not made it work. Um, it's a natural human instinct. And again, you're going back. I think you. I think there's always, um, uh, everybody has a very strong emotional attachment to their business. I mean, I know I have, and I know that's what I've experienced with all my clients over the years. You know, they have a very strong emotional attachment to that business. That can get in the way of objectivity. Um, so you do need that outside influence, whatever it is, whether it's just a trusted advisor you might already have, a friend that knows, understands business, your accountant, your lawyer, whatever. You know, or if you really need specialist help, then it might have to be a specialist turnaround person or an insolvency person. But you, you, the earlier you get that help to get pull you away from, you know, looking at the day-to-day detail and actually understanding the big picture. Um, it's really, really valuable. And obviously, bigger businesses, which have got full boards of directors and that sort of thing, if they're functioning properly, then the, the board of directors should be should be the place where that type of debate's going on because that's where they should be interacting with each other and one's keeping check on another and different viewpoints are brought to the, the table. So you have that ability to have that healthy debate within the business about what it should be doing and what it shouldn't be doing. When you're much smaller and maybe there's only, you know, you're working on your own or just with one or two people, then you don't get the benefit of that. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's, it's, it's yeah, I can't overemphasize that the need to bring objectivity to the table and often the best way of doing that is to, to get someone 
even if it's just someone to talk to. I mean, there's a starting point. Share your troubles. It's it, how often have we had conversations with people about something that's bothering us, and just to, even if they haven't really offered much in the way of advice or ideas, just getting it off your chest. You know, the old thing of you know, problem shared is problem halved. It's so true. So if we get to the point where um, it really has got to the point of no return, and you're thinking, right, well, actually, yeah, this is not going well. You've got one option, and that's to shut the business down. What does that involve? Or is that too big a question? It's not too big a question. Um, let, let's think about this in the context of a, of a company rather than an individual. Yeah, that's easier. Yeah, if, it, if it's a sole trader and you and you shut the business down, then basically you just stop trading and you take the financial consequences of doing that. Um, if it's a company, it becomes much more difficult. As I said earlier, a company is a separate legal entity in its own right, so therefore it has to go through a process to to make it shut down and, and close. Um if it's um, insolvent, um, and, and that's likely in the type of situations we're talking about, so uh, uh, let's just quickly think about what it means by is it insolvent. Um, there's actually three tests within the 1986 Insolvency Act as to what makes a business insolvent. Now, Acts of Parliament are written by clever lawyers and other people that sit in darkened rooms or whatever. The reality of the real world is often different. So they write the rules in the in the Insolvency Act as if it's a very black and white situation, but the reality is it's often shades of grey. But the, the basic three tests are, um, can you pay your debts when they fall due? So if you've got a long queue of creditors sitting outside your front door, all the people you owe money to, there's a good chance you can't. Um, it, do your um, liabilities exceed your assets overall? So, you know, is your business built up so many obligations, so many liabilities that actually it's showing a negative situation? Or have you just had a statutory demand drop on your doormat? So if you've got a statutory demand, that's basically a creditor um, basically had enough waiting for their money and they've gone to the court and they've, they've thrown this document, which you've only got, I think it's 21 days from memory, to respond to. So... Any of those things prove you're insolvent, theoretically, but as I can say, they're not very black and white tests, really, in reality. You've then got to make a decision because if, as a director of that company, you continue to trade when you've reached that point, um, you could then become personally liable. And that's what they call wrongful trading. That's where you're actually going, you're going forward and all that's going to happen is you're going to make the position worse. You've got an obligation as a director of the company to understand that position. And again, most people wouldn't understand that position. Why would they? So that's why they need help. So you really ought to be talking to an insolvency practitioner who's a specialist in that market. They're not the grim reapers. Most people think they are. They are there to help businesses as much as they are to, to bury them. I always think of you as the grim reaper, Gary. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm not an IP. so I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, what hope have they got? <laughs> um but, you know, most insolvency practitioners are, are reasonable people that will, will try and help you, but they'll also tell you the, the, the real truth of the situation you find yourself in. So if it's, it's possible to just liquidate the company, put it into liquidation and walk away. If you've not signed any personal guarantees or you've not done anything wrong, um, you've just been unlucky and things haven't worked, no one will ever judge you for, for, poor, for poor business decisions. Um, they are going to judge you if you've wrongfully traded, if you've you know, committed fraud, if you've taken money out of the business when you perhaps shouldn't have done. Um, but that's all. 
Um, and then you potentially, after after a period of isn't very pleasant to say the least, but you can effectively walk away from the situation. And if you want, you can start up again and try again. But that was going to be my next question, actually, because I remember in my first, in fact, one of my very few jobs where I was working for someone else. Um, I used to work in this company in London. You probably remember this, Gary. Um, there was a there was a one particular guy who used to come in and we used to do business with and. I reckon he probably set up his new a new business every six or eight months where he used to go under. And one one of the times he went under was around the time where his biggest client were Bearings Bank, and that was you know the time when that all thing happened. Who was that guy? I can't remember that guy's name now. Yeah, I do vaguely remember that situation with you. But is it as easy as it seemed at the time to be able to just start again with a new company, or is there a point where the inland revenue is going to look at you and think, "Oh, hang on a minute, what's he doing?" It's not that easy, um, but it's possible. Unfortunately, with everything, there's, there's a few rogues around. Um, so there are people out there that will help you do that. And the, the official term for it is a phoenix. It's where you actually, you know, something new rises from the ashes. Um, and phoenixing is, is very much, um, you know, shunned, shunned and not, not seen as a good practice. Um, so, yeah, but it is possible. You can do it and people still do it. And you're trading with one business one day and the following day, the names change slightly or something's slightly different about it. And actually what you find if you dig is a different company behind the name. Strictly, that's illegal. But there are ways and means of making that happen. But again, you see it happen. It's the same way as, you know, people break speed limits. You know, people do break the law. People do do things. And that's why... As, as someone who's in business, it's your, you need to keep your due diligence up to date on the people you're dealing with and, and, and you know, know who you're truly trading with. Um, it's something we see quite often is, you know, you get companies with a very strong or a well-known brand name of, of some description. So everybody's talking about the brand and the, and the name they're known as, but they don't actually understand the legal position behind that name. So is there a limited company sitting there? What is that limited company? Um, because that's who you're actually trading with. You're not trading with this name that might be on the front door. You're trading with this limited company. So uh, at the end of every interview, we'd like to ask some questions just for a bit of fun. been concerned about this bit. So <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Paul, as well. Let's see if you can get the answers right. No, probably not. Um, Gary, what's your favourite smell? Uh, my favourite smell is the smell of a steam engine. Oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me too much. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be a surprise for Paul, no. Gary is a big train nerd. Yeah, well, but, but, yeah, not just not simply a train nerd. I'm very heavily involved with heritage steam and heritage steam railways and all that sort of thing. So, yes, there's nothing quite like uh, a... Fabulous. A, that, that's the smell of all the smoke and steam and everything coming off. They're, they're alive. It's, it's a great, great thing for me. So when Gary was growing up, when we were both growing up, Claire, mm. uh, Gary had this human humongous model railway set in his bedroom uh-huh. uh, it, it was it was so big it used to drop down from the wall and he used to be able oh to stand gosh. in the middle of yeah. it and <gasps> yeah and command all these trains from every single direction that sounds really cool <laughs> yeah well it was quite cool actually so he used to make all these little models and then used to so there, there used to be some very strange smells coming out of gary's bedroom i remember oh ah, yeah it was the most smells of steam engines though it was probably glue and other things <laughs> yeah yeah oh that sounds awesome yeah, yeah some, some very suspect smells uh, i've grown up now because i now my models now are 12 inches to the foot yeah they've now got bigger and then that smell of glue <laughs> favorite biscuit i think i know the answer to this one Go on. is is it a Kit Kat? Well, that's, that's interesting. I wouldn't have called a Kit Kat a biscuit. Well, in, well yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's kind of one of those kind but, of grey areas, isn't it? It's kind of half biscuit, yeah. half chocolate. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I, you're right. Actually, I, I'm, I'm very partial to the Kit Kat. You're right there. But actually, the answer I was thinking of was a cookie, you know, like one of those big American cookies, preferably with lots of chocolate in it. Oh, one of the gooey soft ones that kind of almost droops in the middle. Not too soft. Not too soft. Damn, I feel like yeah. a cookie. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about your favourite movie? I think, um, well, I am. Um, again, Paul will know this. Is I'm a great Star Trek fan. So I think, uh, for me, the Star Trek films... Are Can I point out, Claire, that he's not a Star Trek fan to the point where he goes to conventions and dresses up as Spock? <laughs> I was going to ask that. I was no. just about to say, do you go to the conventions? <laughs> no, no, I absolutely do not do that. If he did do that, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be owning him as my brother, yet alone sort of uh, inviting him <laughs> onto a podcast. I was actually no, thinking no, I'd quite I'm, enjoy that. <laughs> I'm not a big fan uh, of Star Trek, but I, I can appreciate Star Trek and I can appreciate his vision and the things he tried to do and uh, and actually in the late 60s uh, some of his stuff was actually really groundbreaking wasn't it it was the first interracial kiss on Star Trek yeah it was but also some of the concepts like um, the concept of of uh, electric moving doors that automatically opened when you walk up to them didn't exist in the 60s but it was on on Star Trek Enterprise um, and um, and you know the, the original communicators which were like the original flip phones when we got mobile phones and the concept of sending this thing into space with um, all these people on board and all of the world's knowledge on the computer. Well, we've got all of the world's knowledge on our mobile phones now. Yeah, there must be a website somewhere where you can find out uh, how many things predicted in Star Trek have actually come true. Yeah, I imagine it's quite a lot. Although I'm still very disappointed that sliding doors don't make that sound. (laughs) Yeah, well, that is true, actually. Yeah, (laughs) I really considered that. Yeah, well, actually, if you watch the original series of Star Trek now, it's actually very cringy. I I think most of the set was made out of grey foam. Wasn't it? I think actually Gary used to make the set out of some of the stuff he used for his model railway. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, interesting. Thanks, Claire. Um, <laughs> that was very enjoyable. Very unique experience. Thank you for being on the show, bruv. <laughs> Informative as ever, and uh, learn a few things that I didn't already know. Yeah, so if people want to find out more, find out a little bit about your company, find out about Inside Associates. I know you've provided a few sort of blogs and articles and stuff that we're going to link to on our page uh, for this episode um, on the on the website. But um, how do people come and find you? Um, well, the best way to find us is uh, through our website, which is www.insightassociates.co.uk. Insight is I-N-S-I-G-H-T, it's all one word. Um, or you can email me, which is Gary, and Gary is uniquely spelt with two R's, so it's Gary at InsightAssociates.co.uk. No, it's awkwardly spelt with two R's. No, uniquely spelt. <laughs> no, 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 you two have done so well, you haven't had an argument yet, so don't start now. No, no that's true, that's true. Um the, the other thing I was going to suggest, actually, and I don't know whether it's relevant or not, um, that um, one thing that uh, Paul and I have both done, which is actually have books published, uh, is um, I'm very happy to give away copies of my book if we wanted to do that through the website or something. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you, Gary. We'll put a link up on the page for that. Just email us with their, their address and we'll send it out to them. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. Do you know what? That's probably the longest sensible conversation I've ever had with my brother. Is it? (laughs) There's no denying Gary knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. And uh, you've definitely picked the right man for the job to talk about that particular topic, which is quite a sensitive topic. It's a topic that a lot of people don't like to talk about because they don't like to uh, own up to the fact that they might be failing. Yeah, because I think when you mention the word failure, a lot of people see that as a weakness and... You know, very often it is because maybe not the best decisions have been made. But actually, 
I feel it shows whose strength to talk to people about it, about how you can overcome those challenges. Yeah, and the support is really important. Collaboration is really important. Uh, and uh, uh, and like I think Gary said at the beginning of the, of the interview, um, we can't be experts at everything. Uh, and normally people set up a business because they're an expert at a particular thing. Uh, but there are lots of other skills you need to have to be able to run a business successfully. And you can't be great at everything. No, you can't. So it's important to acknowledge that and ultimately move forward and do something about it quickly. That was interesting. Thank you, Claire. Now, does that mean it's my turn? I'll get you back somehow. Uh, no. <laughs> only, my games only work one way. <laughs> so before we finish, if we get that far, of course, uh, we like to end the show uh, with our big little shout out where we big up a small business that we've been talking about on social media. Who are we bigging up this week? We are bigging up this week the Black Rabbit Pub in the High Street, Molden. Oh, we've not done a pub before. Quite like that idea. Do they have a website? They do. They do have websites. Uh, they've got some fantastic pictures on there of uh, the food that they produce as well. And it looks like a really, really beautiful, proper, proper pub. Uh, BlackRabbitMolden.co.uk is the website. And it's a fun, family and dog-friendly pub as well. Yeah, so if you're ever in the Essex area or in the Malden area, you need to come and check them out. Let's have a general shout-out for all pubs and restaurants uh, uh, around the world at the moment uh, who perhaps are finding things a little bit difficult uh, and quite timely that we're talking about a financial crisis uh, and because you know, the hospitality industry is probably one of the biggest um, sectors that have struggled through COVID. Uh, so I think it's important to give them all a bit of support and say, you know, you're doing a fantastic job uh, and uh, maybe if you can, if it's safe and everything, to go out and uh, spend a little bit of money with them and, and give them a little bit of support that way. Yeah, absolutely. They're following all the uh, UK government requirements uh, so they do have some restrictions of course in place um, but they are they are back in business so if you are about in that area then do pop in where, where can we go and see them uh, blackrabbitmolden.co.uk yeah fantastic and then go and support your own local um, eatery as well wherever you're listening to us from and where you're, wherever you're listening to us from uh, don't forget to leave us a, a review as well let us know what you think about the show and get in touch with us and let us know what you think too what you'd like to uh, hear on the show some uh, topics you'd like us to cover perhaps and then go and have a listen to some of our uh, back issues we've got uh, a library of uh, old episodes right now they're not old they're still relevant and they could still be uh, lots of information in there which will help your business to grow so go and check out some of the various other topics we've covered on the on the big little business show so far you can come and find us on instagram at big little business show uh, we're on facebook too and linkedin just search for big little business show and you'll find a page on our website biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk all about today's uh, topic and all the other topics we've covered on the show and i think that pretty much wraps it up and i'm so going to get you back claire say goodbye claire <laughs> no don't want to <laughs> bye-bye the beat You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. The Big Little Business Show is a PM2 Media and Excel Networking production.